Hi, I'm Leola. I'm a sacred intimacy mentor and muse and the host of this podcast. Talk Tantra to Me introduces a playful perspective on sacred sexuality. My intention in this podcast is to integrate intimacy and spirituality, empowering you to reclaim your eroticism. It is my mission to inspire you to let go of shame, fear, and limiting beliefs to be present as your highest self in every moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, let's talk Tantra. Welcome to the latest episode of Talk Tantra to Me. Today, I have Irene Fair. She is a sex and intimacy coach. I am so excited to get a get a listen on some of her wisdom. So Irene, why don't you start by sharing your journey with sexuality? What led you to become a sex and intimacy coach? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. And you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask this question of what led me to become a sex and intimacy coach was actually not having sex mm-hmm. and uh, losing my libido. And my story is a story of so many couples around the world. And it's a story of meeting someone, falling in love, sex being so incredibly easy, so incredibly abundant, and then moving deeper into a relationship, the relationship becoming a long-term relationship, right? Committing to each other, getting married, and then the woman's libido disappearing. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. It started less than six months into the relationship, but then it get, got progressively worse. And it, it was the experience of not knowing what was happening to my body, not understanding it, not knowing how to communicate this to my partner, the man who was my boyfriend, who then became my husband. And at first it was all innocent. You know, I've read this in the magazines. I started losing my lubrication mm-hmm. and the gynecologist said to use lube, no problem. And I believed them. I thought that was logical. So I started using lube, but very quickly sex turned painful, very, very excruciatingly painful. Wow. And it all then rolled into losing interest in sex, kind of uh, startling if my husband would reach over to me because I would fear that like I would be uh, forced to have sex or, and it wasn't at all a situation of being forced, but that was my experience in my body, right? That kind of mm-hmm. contraction startle response of what's going to happen to me? Where is this going to lead? That then, like I said, eventually completely lost my libido and created a sexless marriage. Wow. And so what were kind of your next steps for figuring out how to move through that? Was it an easy journey for you? Did you find the resources that you needed or? Well, No, which is actually why I became a a sex coach. So while I was experiencing all of this, I was going to some of the best gynecologists in the country and was getting a lot of mixed responses, like just use lube. That's, you know, that's the solution for everything Mm -hmm. Um, to getting messages such as painful sex is normal for women. Most women experience pain during sex to being told that it's normal to lose your libido in a long-term relationship. That's just how it is for women to also hearing at the same time from a lot of doctors that there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. So a lot of this was going 
it was me making conclusions of, well, there must be something wrong with me as a woman, as a, as a, as a sexual being. I must not be sexual. So I was spiraling out on my own and both of us could not talk about it. We couldn't, we didn't know how to, we didn't have the words, we didn't have the courage, right? So we were disconnecting and all of this then cost us our marriage. So we split up, it was devastating. And for me, again, it fed the story that there's something wrong with me. See, I can't keep a husband. Mm -hmm. And it led to me really shutting down, shutting down my desires, shutting down. Basically, like I, I started living this gray life, like all color was drained out of me, out of my, my kind of existence. And in the years following the divorce, I led this very sterile life. Like I, I really, like I said, I shut down all my desire, not just sexual desire. Yeah. I disconnected from my body. I disconnected certainly from my femininity, um, from dreams, from everything. And I fell into a deep depression to the point where I could only eat cereal breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? I could only muster enough desire to know that I just want cereal for, 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 for food and taking my dog out for walks and going to work. And thankfully this, what what was happening to me looked like it was a nervous breakdown, but on the flip side was actually spiritual awakening. You know, when I had heard Renee Brown mention this, nervous breakdown slash spiritual awakening. Like I knew exactly what she was talking about because that happened to me. And during that, that spiritual awakening, I had a realization that there is something wrong with me not feeling alive that I'm missing out on so much. And I felt such deep sadness. Like how can I be living my life? I was in my early thirties. How can I be living my life in, in this like depressed gray state, this is not right. This is not fair. This is, this is BS. <laughs> like this is, this cannot be this way. Yeah. And that allowed me to then seek out support. So I started working with coaches, life coaches, and eventually um, sought out the help of a sex coach because I still thought I have the sex problem, right? Mm-hmm. I am not sexual. I don't have sexual desire. How do I fix myself so I can have a relationship, which is, was always something that I, that was so important to me that I dreamed about. And in working with a sex coach and doing uh, somatic practices, body practices, connecting to my own body, made me realize that there was nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But what was happening in my marriage, and again, this is what happens to every couple that comes to work with me in my practice. I was starving of the nutrients that I needed for my libido to come online. Mm-hmm. My body, I lost lubrication because I wasn't getting stimulated in the ways that worked for me. We weren't connecting in a vulnerable way. So I wasn't getting the emotional stimulation and the the emotional connection to my partner. Mm -hmm. And all these things that were happening or 
the lack of things that were happening was contributing to my body shutting down. So what I actually learned was that my body wasn't unhealthy. It was the opposite. My body was extremely healthy. It was having a healthy shutdown response to the missing nutrients. Wow, that's a beautiful. And, sorry, go ahead. I don't know. And you know, that was the wake-up moment where I was like, I need to share this with other women and I need to help other couples. Because also when I started to share about my own journey, women started to crawl out of the woodwork saying, and this happened to me too. And me too. And wow, I had the same experience. Or wow, I am having the same experience. And again, that was the big motivator for me. Like, I got to get this information out. I, I have to save women from the same predicament that I was in thinking I was sexually broken. Where in reality, we're starving. Mm-hmm. And we just need nutrients. We need food. We need nourishment. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and authenticity and sharing, you know, that whole story. I definitely resonate in in this finding of purpose that it takes like a lot of painful experiences, but then you have that light bulb moment and it's this excitement of, oh my God, like and people around you start to see it too and are thinking like, what, what changed? What are you doing? And it, it, it was the same for me. And that's kind of how I got into this work as well. And, and I have to say good for you for, for figuring this out, because I think for, you know, so many of us with sexuality, it's so taboo that it's easier to just like stuff it under the rug and not approach it at all. When in reality, that's a huge disservice to, to yourself and also to the world, because this energy, this life force is feeding, you know, the collective with this growth and light and it's feeding you. And if you're not filling up your cup, then there's no way for you to show up in that way. So I appreciate that. And I think that understanding that that, that communication is so important with ourselves and, and with our partners to figure out what we like, and then to know how to communicate it in a way that doesn't feel like shameful or weird. Um, Cause there, there's really no, there's no, example that's shown to us. I know that my parents' sex education never told me how to communicate at what I want or need or desire, or even my boundaries for that matter, which created a whole other slew of, of issues of shutdown, even as, as you had kind of said. So um, what? how do you recommend moving forward with this idea of like figuring out what you like and don't like so that you're able to see what actually nourishes me sexually. And then going from that, like, how do you communicate that, you know, within your partner partnership? And the answer to that differs, whether you are on your own, if you're single or if you're in a partnership and the starting point is connecting is always connecting to yourself, listening to your body And it really depends on what also like what the level of connection you have to your body. If you're really shut down, what I do when I work with women coming to me from that place is we start with connecting to pleasure, non-sexual pleasure, any kind of pleasure in their lives and in their bodies, reconnecting to the pleasure of dancing just because the music moves you connecting to that cup of tea that you really like, but actually really tasting it going into the shower and feeling the water inside of you or (laughs) with the water on top of you in the shower. Right. Um, So it starts with that. 
But in, of course, in a relationship, that's not always easy because you will have already developed patterns, negative patterns that make this very hard. Mm-hmm. So if someone, for example, like for me, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my body wanted. I didn't know how to speak up and say what I needed. And so I got into very d- dangerous and nasty patterns of not saying it, not saying it, not saying it, then blowing up and complaining and criticizing and blaming. And that then creates these negative imprints. And so if you're in a couple and you have already developed some of these negative patterns, the the process to connect to yourself and your pleasure also requires you creating a safe, safe place in the relationship to actually do it differently. So this is also in my, in my coaching practice, I work with single women or I work with couples. So if a woman comes to me and she's in a, in a committed relationship, we work on bringing her partner in or oftentimes they come in together, but if she's, coupled and she wants to do this work, we see how we can bring the partner in because once they're entangled, it's so difficult to untangle it by yourself. Sex in a partnership, it's a dance that requires two people. It's 50-50 and both people are required. Well, both people tangle it up and both people are required to untangle it and to create healthy patterns. So you know, I can spend hours talking about that as well, but that's that's one of the biggest pieces in a relationship is connecting to yourself and your pleasure also requires your partner. Yeah, beautiful. I think that I love what you touched on about this like pleasure and being really present, not just for the sexual experiences, but for all experiences of life, because this energy, eros or life force, is in every moment if we choose to infuse it in that way. And to me, the way that you approach your sexuality is very often how you approach the rest of your life, you know, mm-hmm. as above, so below. So how can we bring this into a holistic space? Um, and, and especially in, in terms of the, the relationship and even the relationship with ourselves you know, in Tantra, we say you're, you take responsibility for your triggers and your pleasure. So having, you know, those equal, equal parts and, and not projecting it onto your own experience or onto your partner and having that sacred container can be, you know, super, you know, super helpful. Um, However, you can also create a sacred partnership within yourself. So getting back onto this, why does sex dwindle or become lackluster? We've kind of wrapped that into just not really knowing like what you need to, to nourish yourself. Right. So how do, how do women figure out what they like or what do they normally like? How, how would you approach kind of the, the, um, seduction of the feminine or bringing the presence into the feminine, uh, embodied individual or space? Yeah. Well, again, it depends whether the woman is on her own or in a couple and on your own, it is about connecting to your body and, and creating these experiences where you're learning how your body responds to different kinds of touch, different kinds of pleasure, different kinds of uh, different experiences. So like I said, it could be a shower, it could be your favorite tea, it could be self-massage, it could be self-touch, it could be 
um, having a pleasure practice, such as giving yourself a pussy massage or uh, exploring your own body. Um, and then doing that in a partnership as well. But again, it's creating a safe space in that. It's overcoming the resentment and the fears and the, the kind of the gridlock of those old patterns. Um, a, a lot of it is experimentation. It's it, You can't know what you like until you have experienced and said, I like this. It's kind of like with food. You can't say that you like a peach until you tasted a peach. Yeah. And, and this is where a lot of women get tripped up. And I think to really it's one of the myths that really hurt women and understanding themselves. It's this idea that I can like something and it would be objective. Like I like oral sex under all circumstances at any time. And, uh, you know, this is how exactly it would be. But our bodies and also our sexual desire is responsive to contexts. So oral sex in the middle of the day as you're working you're not going to like that. Yeah. It's going to be you're not it, it's it's going to be out of context. It's not going to be something that that's that feels good that you want to do. Um also oral sex quickly versus oral sex slowly. Sometimes it's nice quickly, other times it's it's amazing slowly and it depends on context. And so experimenting, trying it in different ways and really framing it as a science experiment mm -hmm. and especially slowing it down to really learn about what's happening in your body. That's how you learn what you want. And it's very nuanced. It's what I want in this moment that matters. Yeah. Not what I want it, what I, what is it that I want in this moment in the body that I'm in with the partner that I'm in, given the emotional state that we're in, given where we are in our connection, given like how tired we are, this is what I want now and now and now. Being bringing the the arrows into the moment, not just like having an objective sense of this is what I like. Beautiful. I, I definitely resonate with everything that you said, this idea of approaching sexuality with curiosity, not rushing in. Um, and even like approaching every sexual experience, like it's the first time you've touched yes. yourself or your partner has touched you. And especially with, you know, feminine people or energy, it's something that we're cyclical beings and think our bodies are constantly changing. So there's a different preference or boundary or desire, you know, at any given time. And there are, you know, ways to, you know, offer like a communication exercise before, before, you know, having a sexual encounter either internally with yourself. How am I feeling today? What kind of support do I need? Do I want a massage today? Do I want to, you know, do a little bit of dance before I self-pleasure? What does that look like? And, and then the same with your partner, you know, I know that like when I'm ovulating, I want a, a lot more of an aggressive sexual encounter, but other times I need a lot more slowness and, you know, sensuality. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. And how can like partners support their 
their, um, how can like men or partners of a feminine, um, support their, their woman or their vulva owner in this space? That's a great question. And it's such an important one, uh, because typically in our culture, men, well, not so much even, even in our culture, but typically men are so much faster to get turned on sexually. They have spontaneous mm-hmm. sexual desire. They're just like a microwave. You punch in the time and they're on, on full <laughs> at full temperature on full force. Yep. And it takes women longer, but it also requires different things. And just this education, just the willingness to, and the curiosity to learn these differences and to honor those um, that women have definitely, again, this, this is part is it's cultural. We've learned to override what our bodies need to go at the man's pace. Yeah. That we need also men to realize, oh, I need to learn how to slow down to her pace. I need to also learn how to understand her and meet her body's needs. Yeah. And curiosity is super important. And you know, and it comes from actually, if you think about it, just even realizing that we're different. This is also cultural. We think that there is one way to be sexual and that one way is the man's way, right? It's what we see in the movies, quick to get turned on, needing two minutes of foreplay and being ready for penetration. And even the, the like the speed at which we see couples making out when they're having sex, it's fast, it's furious, and it's over with before you even have a chance to kind of comprehend what's happening. Yeah. And again, that's so much of how so many men experience that. And so recognizing and, and being curious about women's experience is the first step, that it's different, that we experience things differently, and we're not broken men. We are not broken sexually if we don't have that spontaneous spark of getting excited. And that's certainly true in a long-term relationship. So most of my practice, or actually really all of my practice is focused on sex in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. What happens? How do you maintain your sexual interest, sexual desire once you commit to a partner? And most women don't have a lot of trouble with sex in the beginning because what we're having is it's friction sex and it's driven by hormones and excitement. And we're doing all these things together, like holding hands and spontaneously kissing and spending hours on the phone talking about our dreams and spending weekends making love to each other. These are all the things that nourish a woman's libido. So it looks like her libido is the same as the man's in the beginning. But when it dwindles in a long-term relationship, it doesn't mean that she's sexually broken. It actually means, like I mentioned earlier, she's missing the nutrients. Yeah. And this is, again, where we need men to see that we're not sexually broken if we're losing our libido in a long-term relationship, that that's actually a response to something that's missing. That's not necessarily their fault, but that something is missing in the relationship that we need to intentionally build, intentionally intentionally prioritize. And that's emotional connection, spontaneous, pleasurable touch that doesn't have a goal. 
slowing it down to really be with each other, to not rush through to penetration and orgasm and get it over with, but to linger, to connect, to um, engage in what I call slow practices, slow lingering orgasmic practices of touch, of, of, uh, it could be teasing each other. It could be stimulating each other, but that have no goal that are not just like, come on, let's get through it to get to the other side. Yeah. I really like that you touched in on the goal. And, and I think that a lot of us get into this like sexual pattern that is like, this works all the time. My sex will always end in climax, in orgasm for one or both parties. And it's like, sex can be amazing without having the orgasm as well. And like, what does that look like for one or both partners? And, and I also love this idea of touching in with like, you know, the masculine energy versus the feminine energy in a sexual experience. To me, it's this divine dichotomy that the man, all he needs to do is hold on to his libido to, to get some sense of mastering or, you know, control to create the container. Whereas for men, their, their nature is to go, 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 release, release, release. But it's like to have a truly expansive sexual experience, they actually have to hold on. Whereas for women, it's the opposite. Their, their, you know, pattern or their nature is more like, oh, I need to stay tight. I need to, you know, they're in, they're in a bit more of a like, stressed position. Whereas to really experience the expansive state of sexuality is to let go, to let the energy flow and to be really dynamic and fluid. And knowing that information allows you to say like, it's cool that we're different because polarity is fun and it's sexy and it allows this push and pull relationship to evolve. And with that, you, I know you had started bringing up friction sex, which is kind of at the beginning of the relationship, typically, what is, what is the difference between friction sex, validation sex, and, and connection-based sexual encounters? Mm-hmm. So these types of sex I lay out in the context of understanding what happens as sex progresses throughout the relationship. So as I mentioned in the beginning, the hormones are raging. There's sexual attraction. There's newness. There's excitement. Like, wow, this person really gets me. They want, they're paying attention to me. It feels really amazing. And friction sex in that state is all about not being able to keep your hands off each other, right? Wanting that physical contact, wanting to be with each other. And this is so much driven by our body's signal, like make a baby, whether or not you want that. But that's what sexual attraction is. This person is the right person to make a baby with. And so these sexual hormones drive us to each other. They drive us to do all these things with each other, like spend the whole night talking to each other on the phone, even though you have to be up at seven in the morning to go to work or make love all night long again, even though you have to go to work at seven in the morning. And they make us do special things to each other. And um, that's all exciting. But again, sex in the stage is all about that physicality. And it feels like desire is abundant and you just, you just want to get together. Yeah. But once you introduce, well, before I actually say that, um, there's a problem with friction sex is that it has a natural end of life because those hormones wane. Yeah. And your the passion starts to dwindle. 
for the woman, she starts noticing like, wow, we're doing the same thing over and over. This is like the 13th time we did exactly the same thing. We like flocked together. We ripped our clothes off. We, we kissed, we fondled, we, we had oral sex, we had penetration, we had an orgasm and hmm, this is not as interesting for me anymore. And also the, again, the passion starts to dwindle and the couple start to question themselves. Like what's, what, what's going on? Where's the passion going? And so a lot of couples break up here because they think that, oh, there's nothing here, but it's really that the, the natural life of friction sex has died out. Yeah. But there's also couples that fall in love during this process and they may move into the next stage of sex or the evolution of sex, which is validation sex. And what happens when we fall in love is of course, when we fall in love, we start to really have um, feelings for each other. We start to care for each other and there's a strong emotional connection, but there's also a sense of dependency. And this goes into attachment styles and attachment science. When we fall in love with someone, it takes us in a whole different realm of attachment. Mm -hmm. And attachment is all about attaching to someone to survive. This is what what we do as children. When we're born, we attach to the mother because the mother is, is all about helping us survive, right? She, the, the, the family unit is the means to survive for a baby. So I'm not going to go too much into this because I can also spend 10 hours on this, but when you get into a love relationship, it starts to trigger all the attachment patterns that you grew up with. Because like I said, when it comes to love, it it's about dependency. And so with validation sex, it can feel incredible. Like it can feel like a warm blanket. It'd be very passionate and amazing but we also start to read what happens through a different lens. We use sex to validate that we're lovable, we're important, we're worthy. Mm-hmm. And as a, any relationship matures, there's going to be more and more times when you are not actually available to your partner sexually. It may be innocent, like you're tired or you had a baby and you, were, you, you, you've, you haven't been sleeping for a year. Mm-hmm. And you're not available, but that rejection starts to be interpreted as you don't love me anymore. I'm not important to you anymore. I'm not desirable to you anymore. And couples will start to infuse their sex life with these interpretations and start to withhold from each other. So connection starts to dwindle and they start to please each other. Like I want to do things that please you, but they, they stop to actually show up vulnerably for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so in validation sex, certainly passion, but also sexual desire starts to dwindle because it becomes a chore. I need to, va- I need to show up to have sex because I need to validate you. It's no longer about pleasure or the erotic or about connection. It's about validation. I need to, I need to make sure that you know that I still love you. Yeah. I need to be sure to, to, to relay to you that I still desire you. And this ruins the passion and the arrows. These are absolutely desire killers. Um, definitely for both, but very much for women. 
And so here, sex starts to die. And couples have no idea what to do. They try date nights, but that doesn't do anything because they're still the validation pieces there and they're really feeling disconnected from each other. So going on a date, not going to fix that. Um, But most people don't have the tools to look at their attachment types and they get very, very stuck here. They create these scenarios of emotional gridlock of not knowing how to actually say, (coughs) excuse me, what I really need is I need to hear that I'm so important to you. I need to know an experience that I'm still desirable for you and not, not lock that in, in, in with sex to separate them. So here basically sex dies completely. If they, if it didn't die with a friction stage, it's going to die here. And this is true for most, if not all long-term couples. Mm-hmm. And it looks terrible here. It's it's such an, an emotionally painful place. And some couples will get stuck in eternal gridlock and keep fighting. And other couples realize that, you know, this is too much anxiety and they just end up being roommates. Yeah. And they actually, um, well, the roommate couples stop having sex altogether, but the couples that are in gridlock, they'll just resort to having friction sex. Yeah. Let's just get it over with. You have an orgasm. I'll have an orgasm. At least we'll get an orgasm in, but you know, we'll just get it done with, get it over with. And it just feels terrible. Mm -hmm. They may be getting sex. All right, but they're not connected. They're not Mm -hmm. really sharing passion. They're not showing up erotically. It's just doing the deed. Yeah. And the way I see this is even though it looks and it feels terrible amidst this stage, and this is where I was also with, with my ex-husband, it's an opportunity to create a different kind of sex life. So these two types of sex, friction and validation, are created by hormones First of sexual attraction and newness, then of love, of limerence. So we're we're at their influence. The third type of sex, which I call connection sex, is all about intentionality, about creating something consciously and through agreements and through conversations and through naming of needs and desires and using your voice and using, again, intentionality to create erotic connection, erotic energy, passion, sexual desire by really understanding yourselves and each other and by creating practices, setting aside time to be with each other as lovers every day, not just as parents, as partners, as pet owners, as workers, as you know, house caretakers, but as lovers and spending time to replenish and nourish your relationship replenish and nourish your bodies through, through slow touch. Like I I mentioned, slow practices, sensual lingering orgasmic practices that are about touch for pleasure sake, building up that sexual energy. And that's what creates sexual passion and sexual desire for long-term in a long-term relationship. And last thing I want to say is that incidentally, this is exactly what women need. For sexual desire, these are the nutrients, connection, attention, touch, 
really being with our partners, really, again, being, connecting with our partners. This is what we need. And so when you create connection sex, you actually make it work for both men and women. You make it work so that it lasts and that it nourishes everyone, both people in, in the couple. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that wise wisdom. Uh, I think when it comes down to this connection-based sex, a lot of people have a, have so many blocks around, you know, this element specifically because our society and the media really glorify spontaneity in our sexual relationships. Whereas, as you had said, like making the time and, and creating the spaces where you can communicate, communicate about your needs, preferences, and desires. So then you're able to safely step into a receptive mode in, and be really present is super important. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And here's the thing too, is when you do that, when you have that safety, when you have that intentionality, when you get nourished, you do become more spontaneous. Yeah. Yep. But you can't just be spontaneous by willing yourself to be more spontaneous. Spontaneity, Mm -hmm. the way I see it, it's like, it's the overflow of a full cup. Yep. I totally resonate. It's one of those things that people don't realize it like, so one of the things that I recommend for people in, in the early stages of relationship, but this is some, definitely something to incorporate because women are so cyclical and, and our bodies are changing, you know, throughout, throughout our lives. Um, this idea of communicating your needs, preferences, and boundaries before any sexual experience, because if you're worried the entire time of, oh, he's going to try this because I like that last week, but I don't want it today. Or even if the, if it's an early relationship and you have trauma and you're like, oh, he's going to try to do that thing that, you know, was traumatizing for me, then you're not able to be fully receiving and it can be spontaneous because you're in your head. So and you're laying there like this, right? Like all contracted and yeah. in your head rather than in that more open, more available uh, stance or presence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So I'd love to wrap up with just the last few questions. Um, the first one is what awakens your arrows? What turns you on? What makes you feel erotically alive? Well, it probably won't be uh, that much of a guess for for our listeners here, um, but it's connection. It's the undivided, exquisite attention from a partner, just having them be there with me and like nothing else matters. Um, To me, that is such a turn on, like, and it's the gateway. So it's a turn on, but it's a necessary, it's a gateway. It's a necessary part for me to be able to be available sexually, to be turned on, to, to do all other things, but it's connection. And, you know, for me also why Tantra works and why slowing down works is that we can establish that it's intentional. It's not this fly by moment and then it disappears and we have to grasp for it is that it's created. And um, yeah, I, thrive with connection and attention and presence. It's, it's yummy. Absolutely. Thank you. And what exciting growth projects, etc. are you working on now? I know that you offer coaching and you have an online course. If you'd like to touch on those or anything else that you're launching or offering at this time, we would love to hear. Thank you. Uh, so I have a longer video about these three types of sex that's available on my website And um, I'll provide a link so you can provide it to the listeners. 
Um, and it really sets the context of, again, these these three types, how they evolve, how couples get stuck, and then again, what's available on the other side. I also have a free online training for women, although a lot of men sign up to receive it as well, which I love. I love that men are curious about this. Um, and that's called How to Want Sex Again. And it's specifically for women who are struggling with sexual desire. And it's a very powerful three video training where I debunk four very dangerous myths that women fall prey to and end up losing their libido because of them. Mm -hmm. And also ways for them to find pleasure in their own bodies, connect to themselves. And um, all of this is available on my website. And of course, also what's on my website is ways to work with me. If you're a couple or if you're a single woman, there's information, there's a wait list to work with me. And, and that's all on the website. Beautiful. Thank you, Irene. And where can the listeners find you? If you don't mind just sharing like your, the name of your website, I'll link it below. Or I don't know if you're on Twitter, YouTube, anything else that you'd like to share for the listener. Yep. The website is my name. So it's irenefair.com. I-R-E-N-E-F as in Frank, E-H-R. And, um, and also what I wanted to mention too, is there's so many also articles in the blog section where I talk about libido and long-term relationship and rekindling sex and, and sexless marriages. So that's, that's a huge resource. And you can find me on social media under the handle Ignited Woman. So it's Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and uh, I think that's all of them. Thank you again, Irene, for joining me today. And I also want to express my gratitude to the listener. Thank you once more for opening yourself up to the idea of sacred sexuality. And if this podcast resonates with you, I'd love to hear it in the reviews. It means the world to me to hear your perspective. And your reviews also help this podcast become a bit more relevant in search results, which means that more people are able to benefit from the wisdom of spiritual intimacy. And if you'd like to take an even more proactive role in awakening the collective to sacred sexuality, I'd love it if you screenshotted this episode and shared it on your social media. And if you do so, please tag me so that I can thank you personally. With so much gratitude and love, have a sexy and spiritual day, and I'll catch you next week on Talk Talk to Me. Ta-ta!